Thank you, Sherry. Did you take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament prophet Joel, Joel, and it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, the five major prophets. Then we start into the minor prophets, Hosea, and then Joel. I could say Joel, as we know most of us, but it's Joel, and I'll explain that in a moment. I don't mind telling you, and this is Sunday night, I'll let my guard down a little bit. Uh, sometimes I struggle preaching, and the older I get, the harder it is for me in many cases. Sometimes I don't even care to preach, to be honest with you. I'm really telling the truth now. It's hard for me. But there's sometimes, sometimes I still like to preach. This is one of those occasions tonight. I think it's an honor to be able to give the commencement address to our two high school seniors and everyone else that's in the room. Caleb uh, offered, as a matter of fact, he'll be, the youth group will have the uh, service next Sunday night, and uh, uh, Caleb will have some words, of course, and he could have preached tonight, but I trumped him, and I said, I actually want to preach tonight and uh, give this challenge from the book of Joel, Joel chapter 3, verses 11 through 16. To my knowledge, I, as I've said many times, I keep a diary. I don't believe I've ever preached from this passage of Scripture Maybe one time I didn't go back and I was tracing through my mind for the last 33 years and, of course, the memory bank is getting a little rusty up here. <laughs> so I might have preached on this before and not known it but and forgot about it. But I think, to my knowledge, this is the first time I've ever preached from this text. I know for a fact it was the first time I ever preached from the text that we preached on this morning. The message has some similarities. Both messages have some similarities to them. Joel chapter 3, verses 11 through 16 and I'd like to read all five of these verses in unison, and as always, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, let us stand once again. Joel chapter 3, verses 11 through 16, reading in unison. Ready? Begin. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will hope his people and the strength of the children of Israel. May God have his blessing to the reading of his word. Now draw your attention to our text verse, verse number 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of of decision. The title is real easy tonight, In the Valley of Decision. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, particularly and specifically, I pray for Daniel and Nathaniel tonight. I pray a prayer, prayer blessing upon them already. Pray, Lord, as they go on this next journey of their life, Lord, as they begin. Lord, it wasn't just a graduation, but it was a commencement as they graduated a couple of weeks ago from high school. Lord, they're into what we call sometimes adulthood. Lord, there's decisions to be made. I pray that you'd bless 
both of them in a great way. Pray now for everyone within the sound of this voice. Pray that you might remind us that we're all in the valley of decision. And we'll thank you for it, Lord. Speak to hearts, Spirit of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to make an appeal to give your, your heart to the Lord. It's as simple as that, Daniel and Nathaniel. An appeal that you might give your heart to the Lord. Christianity is largely, after all, an affair of the heart. This passage of Scripture, an obscure passage of Scripture, like many of the minor prophets would be all considered, Usher, the chronologist, places the date of this event, this writing, at 825 B.C. Joel, we don't know much about him, but his name means Joel. It's a contraction from two Hebrew words, both names for God, Jehovah, obviously, and El as in Elohim. Jehovah is God. His name means Jehovah is God. Past that, we don't know much about Joel. We know the king at this time is a seven-year-old boy by the name of Joash. He reigns for 40 years. But because he's a boy king, the proxy king is the high priest Jehoiada, who is leader of the country until Joash comes of age. And the text is very Obscure passage of scripture in many ways. For those that believe in covenant theology or an allegorical interpretation of the word of God don't know what to do with this. They do all kinds of crazy things with it. But we know that this is a prediction of the great coming judgment that we know of as the great tribulation period that was prophesied. And Jesus spoke about it in detail in Matthew 24 and 25 several hundred years later in the Olivet Discourse. And this event that took place, the prophecy of this time took place by Joel, by inspiration of the Spirit of God, in a time of national judgment via a great plague of locusts and an incredible lengthy drought. And so we look at the key words of the key verse of our text, verse 14, multitudes, multitudes. I didn't have Hebrew, so I had to look these things up, of course. But the word is hama in the Hebrew language. The word multitudes, multitudes, means to, to murmur or to be in commotion. It's a, it's a throng of in tumult. Back in verse number 11, it talks about, assemble yourselves and gather all ye heathen. You've heard of the word goya, goyim. In, in, in Jewry, goyim is Gentiles. We're, we're, the, we're the dogs, pardon the language. We're the unclean ones. He speaks to the heathen. He speaks to the nations in general. Red and yellow, black and white, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, bond, free. He's speaking to all people. He's talking to the heathen. And multitudes, multitudes. And then we see the word, the word decision is the word carrots. It means to cut or to decide. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Putting it all together, we get a picture of the throngs and a tumult. And I would submit to you that America in general is in a tumult tonight. I would submit to you that the world in general is in a tumult tonight. Before this week is over, we may have war with Iran. I tend to doubt it, but it could happen. North Korea might explode this week. We don't know. The world is in chaos. I was driving behind a car the other day, and I was with somebody. I can't remember who I was with, and I saw a bumper sticker on a car with a whole bunch of other bumper stickers, and one of the bumper stickers said, Resist. 
And the person that I was in the car with, he said, what's that mean? I said, well, that means I hate my president. I hate the president of the United States, and I want to overthrow him, and I'll resist until I'm going to... It's a word for anarchy. It's a word for resist. And we live in a, an age where the throngs are in tumult. There's chaos all around us, not just in America. And we're, we're the... Yes, one famous preacher of days gone by, Hamming Appleman, said we're the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry. America's got problems. But ask Rich tonight if we got problems compared to Pakistan or Senegal or anywhere else around this world. People are not banging down the door and trying to get into, uh, trying to cross fences and rivers and mountains to get into Mexico tonight or Guatemala. But they're coming from all over the world to come to the land of the free and the home of the brave. But we're, we're in Tomo tonight, and I think of the 1.5 million, they're about rough numbers, of high school graduates. I thought it was larger than that, but the number of high school graduates in the last few years, I Googled this, is actually decreasing, of course. About a million and a half graduates walked the aisle or will be walking the aisle in these last days. It seemed to me like, just, just on a sidebar, I thought there would be more graduates than that, but that's what the number said on the Internet, and you know the Internet never lies to us. And so... I think of all these high school graduates, and I've often wondered, and I really don't have an answer to this after all these years of living, here's my question, why do the greatest decisions in our life have to be made at a, such a tender age, at such a, such a young age when we don't have, in our adolescence, when we don't have, we don't have uh, experience in life? Why do we have to make so many of our decisions when we're young people? Remember thou thy creator in the days of thy youth. Why now? Why not wait 30, 40, 50 years? Why do we have to make our tough, most, some of our most difficult decisions in life now as a young person, as a 17 or 18 or maybe a 19-year-old? Well, it's been that way in our country for as long as I can remember, of course. There's so many decisions, 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 so many of them, multitudes, multitudes in this valley of decision. So many roads to take, so many forks in the road. And you know as well as I do that if we come to a fork in the road that it may be only just a few degrees from one from another, but you take that long enough and far enough and you end up in two completely different places, two different parts of the world, if you, if you can even say it that way. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, so Daniel and Nathaniel, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. It's our job to trust in him. It's his job to direct our paths. But I want to give you a picking up from this morning's message. Again, sound by decisions that determine destiny. Decisions that determine our destinies. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to be long tonight. I just want to give you three Three truths concerning decisions for the Christian young person. Three truths for the, I qualify for the Christian young person. Many are multitudes in the valley of tumult, in the valley of chaos. They have no direction in life whatsoever. And I don't know how many of those million and a half graduates will actually commit suicide in the next coming years, but I know it will be a, a higher number than we ever want to even think about. Because there's no direction, no course, no, no purpose in life. We're just evolutionary blobs, according to some. And I'm not talking to those. I'm talking to those that have grown up in church, those that, again, specifically Nathaniel and Daniel, that have grown up and heard the word of God and heard the gospel preached and have Christian parents. And, and uh, those that have been raised to 
make choice. I want to give you tonight here three decisions or what uh, three truths concerning decisions for the Christian young person. Number one, decision is a choice. Decision is a choice. That's what it is. We have what's called free will. Adulthood gives freedom, supposedly. At 18, you're allowed to do a lot of different things. At 21, there's another age of coming of age time in our country. But we used to be able to not vote in our country when we, until we were 21, but many years ago, back in the Vietnam War, we changed it to 18 because we said if they're old enough to fight, they're old enough to vote. And so 18 has been the age for legality in so many things. 18, and when a young person becomes an adult, most obviously high school graduates graduate around 18 years of age or thereabouts, 17 or 19. And decision is a choice. You now you have free will. You have self-government. You've been governed by school. You've been governed by authorities. You've been governed by teachers. You've been governed by parents. And you, your government now, you have less government in your life per se, that is if you run well or if you govern yourself well. But decision is a choice. I think of five S choices that need to be made. And I trust, of course, that Daniel and Nathaniel has already made this first choice for sure, hopefully. I don't know your hearts, but I, I trust that it's true. There's a decision, there's a choice to be saved. There's a choice to be saved. The Bible says, for whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord. Or for whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. The choice to receive Jesus Christ is our Savior. No one ever gets saved that doesn't want to be saved. Heaven is not going to be populated by people that are bored by heaven and don't want to go there. God gives you choice. Choose you this day. Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a choice to receive Christ as Savior or not receive Christ as Savior. When I pray with people to receive Christ, I invite them to receive Christ. I've done that a couple, three, four times here, fortunately, in the last few weeks here, I've had that opportunity. Whether they prayed with me just to get me off their back or if they prayed in their hearts, I trust that they prayed with their hearts. But it was their choice, and I always very gently say, I don't want you to pray this for me. I don't want you to pray this if you don't understand. I don't want you to pray this if you don't believe. But if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that you're a sinner lost and on your way to hell, and you believe that Jesus died for your sins, and he's the only Savior, I always emphasize that. He died for your sins, he was buried, he rose again, and you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, he will come in and save your, your heart and soul. When I was an 11-year-old boy, I didn't know much, I didn't have much education. I had really no education in regards to the Bible. But when I heard the gospel preached, I realized that Jesus was the Savior, and I didn't know he was a lot of different things. I didn't know he was God. I didn't know he was born of a virgin. I didn't know many things about the attributes of Jesus, but I knew that God had a son. His name was Jesus. And I asked him into my heart, and I called upon him as an 11-year-old boy the best way I knew how. And he saved me. And so there's the choice. Decision is the choice to be, first of all, the choice to be saved. But then there's a choice of station in life. Uh, you say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, there's a choice, and I don't want to purport that everyone needs to be, in fact, Nathaniel and Daniel, I'd really caution you here. You don't need to get married next week. 
In fact, you don't need to get married next month probably. You probably don't need to get married, no offense, next year. I like what the preacher said, by the way, last Sunday, if you heard him. Uh, before you get married, you ought to have a house. <laughs> Man, I never would have got married if that was the case. But uh, uh, you ought to have a job. You ought to be able to pay all your bills, have all your bills paid. I think that's good advice, but uh, very few of us would ever get married if that was the case. But you don't have to get married right away. You might not have to get married. Nothing wrong with singleness if God's called you to be single. And then there's choices, there's stations in life to be single or married. There's, there's stations in life. You can choose to be a loner if you want, or you can choose to be involved with other people and have a family or be involved with a family, not only your blood family, but your church family. There's a choice of station in life. There's a choice of, to be saved. Thirdly, there's a choice of situation. What do I mean by that? Overall, we live in America. We have this great privilege of being able to choose the place where we live. We don't have to live in Connecticut if we don't want to. We can move. Now, don't get any ideas. But uh, I, I think from a secular point of view, from a financial point of view, there's a lot of good reasons I could give you for moving out of Connecticut. But did you ever think that God may want us here in Connecticut? That God has us here for a purpose? I just interject this. I just want to say, you know, this is probably going to go down as our lowest Sunday night attendance of the year. But in Litchfield County, Connecticut, I dare say I'm quite, uh, I, I'd love to be corrected on this. We're the largest gathering Christians in the whole county tonight. We're very few churches even have a Sunday evening service. They've gone by the way, wayside. I can only think of one other one in our whole county that has a church service. And they're not even a Baptist church. There's probably several others I don't know about, but very few Christians gathering together in all of Litchfield County, but you're gathering. You chose your station in life. You chose to be involved with God's people and the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. So there's a choice to be saved. Decision is a choice. There's a choice to, of station in life. Where are you going to live? Who are you going to live with? How are you going to live? The choice of situation. By the way, your occupation Daniel Nathaniel, Daniel just told me he got a job, or Nathaniel just got a job at Dollar General. That's great. It's a great starter entry job. Now, Daniel, you probably don't want to be there when you're 40 or 50. You probably want to be somewhere else, probably, or 30 or 40. It's a, what we call an entry-level job. Daniel's still looking for a job. He's going to go off to college this fall. But there's, there's ladder climbing. That's true. There's a lot of truth in that. But we call these jobs, they're not your vocation. They're your occupation. They would occupy your time. When we first moved out here, I got a good job in a factory. I love factory work. I worked at Amphenol in Danbury, Connecticut, for one year. After three years of Christian school teaching, it was refreshment, Sister Cindy. And I had a good time working 55 hours a week. I felt like I was on vacation, not trying to bash any factory workers here, but uh, doing coming from where we came from and making the big money that I was making. I think I was making like $8.55 an hour back. That was a lot of money for me back as a young married person back in 83, 84. But that wasn't my vocation. My station in life was, that was my, my situation in life. That was the place where I lived, the place where I worked. It was, my, it was what occupied my time. But uh, you're, I would say to you that your place of work, your place of employment, it's your, your place of your occupation. But your vocation, Latin, vocas, your life calling is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to make a reference this morning. I wanted to be a draftsman. I wanted to be a draftsman 
for the Lord. I never planned and intended on going into uh, the Lord's work as, as such in full-time Christian service. I was going to be a draftsman for the Lord. Before that, Rich, I was going to be, I've told the story, you probably remember many times, I wanted to be a Marine because all real men when I was growing up were Marines. And so I wanted to be a Marine. That, that, that wasn't, I, wanted, I was going to be a Marine, but a Christian Marine. I was going to be a, a Marine that loved the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a choice of situation. There's a choice of station. There's a choice of, to be saved. But then letter D on my worksheet there's a decision, is a choice, the choice of service. See, all Christians are saved, but all Christians are not serving. And then I ask you the question, who are you going to serve? You're going to serve yourself? You're going to serve others? You're going to serve Jesus Christ. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to live for? Are you going to live for things or for people? Are you going to live for people or for a person? Who are you going to serve? Everybody serves something. No man can serve two masters. Who are you going to serve? Your choice is between the serving of this world, serving self, serving Satan, serving sin, or serving the Savior. That leads me to my fifth letter S on my trusty worksheet here. It's a choice to, of sanctification or self. There's a choice of sanctification or of self-gratification. Daniel and Nathaniel... You've got choices, and I don't mean to put you on the hot seat, but you've got choices tonight, just like the same choices in regards to this matter that everybody in this room has. We can either choose to be sanctified, or we can choose to have self-gratification. In Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, to live purely, to live right, righteously, to live holy. Save yourself till that day that God if he so chooses to have you walk down the marriage aisle. Save yourself for that one particular person. You'll be glad that you did. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, the Bible makes a choice. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There's a choice of sanctification or self-gratification, a choice of service, a choice of situation, a choice of station, a choice of to be saved. Life is full of choices. Multitudes, multitudes, two tonight in our midst, specifically in the valley of decision. Make your, understand that your decision is a choice, but number two, point number two, truth number two, that is decisions... Decision is a, not only a choice, but it's a responsibility. So, see, there is no such thing as no choice. We as Christians, we're pro-life, pro, uh, we're pro, pro not pro-choice, we're pro-life. We believe that life is a sanctity, is a gift from God. We believe we have a responsibility when two couples or a couple comes together and the, and the wife, the woman gets pregnant there's responsibility there. God has ordained that that woman and that man bring that child into life because God's the giver of life. Decision is a responsibility. But we live in a day of blame. Uh, we live in the day of the blame game. It started, you say, how long ago that's been going on, the blame game? Well, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Eve blamed the serpent. The... Adam blamed Eve. 
the serpent said, it's not my fault. They just, they, they listen. Don't play the blame game. Don't blame others for your decision. One of the greatest things, if you can remember this, Daniel, Nathaniel, don't blame others. Don't say, uh, people decided for me. You have choice now. You're a free moral agent. You have a, you're an adult. You have the ability. You, you don't have to live. Both of you have Christian fathers. Both of you have been raised to, to love the Lord, of course. I, and I'm not trying to point attention to a negative, but I was not raised by a Christian father. I had to make a choice myself. You can't blame your parents. I don't blame my parents for anything. I thank them. For, I thank God for all that they did for me. They fed me, clothed me, gave me, uh, uh, took care of me, helped me off to college. Even though they didn't really help me financially, they were. I always thought they did because the just the fact that I got to be in their house and got to come home in summertime and live in a free. I had a free rental. It's called my house. I never paid a dime for a heat, heat bill, electric bill, or or uh, I. Always wonder why dad always yelled, close the door. What do you think we live in a barn? Now I do the same thing with kids and our grandkids. It's like I get so frustrated and so furious because I'm paying the bills now. But life is full of decision is a responsibility. And we must take ownership for our decisions. It's, we're, I, I'm stepping on a limb here and I'm, I'm going to use my wife's family for a Illustration. I should have asked her for permission first, but Sonny grew up with six other siblings. We're going to have a family reunion here in a couple, three weeks down in Tennessee. We'll be gone for a Sunday. Brother Susan will hold down the fort. You'll, you'll survive, I'm sure. But uh, I think of the tale of two sisters. Several of Sonny's sisters are living for the Lord. But she has one, the world calls it the black sheep of the family. One of her sisters chose to, at an early age, as a teenager, not to live for the Lord. Oh, I wish I could tell you the heartache. I just got an emotional burst there, and I'm not even, not even real, real blood, I suppose. But uh, a few years ago now, her life's been a wreck. Her kids are wrecks. Her so-called grandkids are wrecks. She's going to die very early. I'm surprised she's not dead now. She chose the life of sin. She chose a different path, a wrong path. Her other sisters and her brother for a time all chose a different path. They chose to follow the Lord. She chose to go her own way. In a moment of frustration, she said to Sonny, as they were talking, she said, well, Sonny, you might not have noticed, but my life has not been as good as your life has been. And Sonny said, she called her by name and said, that's because I made choices, different choices than you made. Not trying to be harsh, but everybody has choices to make. And continuing to make choices, she could choose if she's saved to rededicate her life. This tale of two sisters, but then I think just for a moment, if you could indulge me for a few more minutes, the tale of two friends. I grew up with some pretty uh, so-called, and I thought in my mind, uh, some pretty uh, famous people. I got to be careful what I say here. I grew up with a guy that made the Ashtabula County Hall of Fame when he was 50 years of age, Johnny Workman. We were such a great baseball team, and Johnny Workman was such a great football player that when he was 50, they inducted him into the Hall of Fame, no joke. He was one of the greatest athletes of uh, Ashtabula County. And uh, I played with Johnny in baseball and so forth. And I played, and we had... Uh, 
you know, somebody I grew up with, their, their daughter is a TV news anchor on Cleveland television station, uh, Fox News TV local affiliate uh, anchor. Uh, I grew up with somebody that uh, sings in front of Cleveland Browns football games, the national anthem, and, and uh, you say, well, big deal. They're the Browns and not the Patriots, but that's another story. I grew up with some, some, some pretty well-to-do people in regards in my little world. One of those people I grew up with was a guy named Dave. Dave was the president of the high school, the class before me, in the class of 75. He was Mr. Cool, Mr. Good-Looking, Mr. Casanova. You get the picture? Mr. I'm trying to think of that, base, that basketball player, uh, Larry Bird, that's it. Some of you young people have no idea who I'm talking about. Mr. Clutch, uh, the long three throws or the long shots before three points for three points, they still two points. He could put them in from 30 foot out and the crowd would go wild. Class president could get any girl and he got any girl he wanted to get, the prettiest girl in high school. Mr. Casanova in so many ways. Went off to Maranatha, the same college that I went to, got saved and went off to Maranatha, dropped out within three weeks. I had one $11 suit when I went to college. It was a blazer. I told the story many times. He had 11. He had a mom and dad that were well-heeled, well-to-do. His, his sister was kind of high class. And Dave had everything going for him. And Dave started to live for the Lord, but he derailed and he defaulted. I have not seen Dave, and Sonny and I have not seen him in probably 30 years now. I was home in Ohio a couple, three weeks ago, and I talked to my buddy that I grew up with, my best man at my wedding, Bob Ladigo. I've mentioned him many times. Hear from Dave? No. The last we knew, he's living in a rundown shack outside of Jefferson, Ohio. Been divorced two times, got two kids, and probably several grandkids running around. He doesn't even know who they are. His life's a mess. His mom and dad never got saved. His sister never got saved. They're probably in hell today. He's raising siblings, rather children that are on their way to hell. I look at Dave and I said, he had everything going for him. Class president, smart, funny, comedian, athletic. Casanova, everything you could possibly ask for. Had his whole future, had the brand new Ford Mustang right out of the showroom floor. Had it all. Had the great job. He's gone nowhere. He's made decisions. You see, decisions, the first truth about decisions is every decision is a choice. Decision, secondly, is the responsibility. But lastly, thirdly, and we'll be done in just moments. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Decision is a great opportunity. Daniel, Nathaniel, I don't want to scare you tonight. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Don't buy the lie. You can't be all that you want to be. I really did when I was a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy. My goal in life was to be a professional baseball player. That's what I was going to be. But then I got to be about 14, 13, and I started, realization started to come to me. I was small, short. I didn't have a strong enough arm, although I had a good arm, and I didn't have a, I could bat well, but I couldn't hit home runs. And somebody broke the news to me, you're not strong enough, big enough, tall enough talented enough to be a major league baseball player. And I said, I'm not? I didn't know. I was talking to Bernie Carbo Friday night, and Thursday we went out to dinner, of course, and, uh, or rather Wednesday, I guess it was, and of course you were, many of you were there. Bernie, I, you know, 
he played baseball, and it wasn't until he was about 15 or 16 or 17, and he got looked to, looked to buy the Cincinnati Reds, and as they say, the rest is history, and they said, you're good enough to play Major League Baseball. He says, I am? He didn't know he was. Here he was. He had natural raw talent. He didn't know he was good enough to play. Here I was. I didn't have any talent, and I thought I was good enough to play. You can't always be what you want to be, but you can be all that you should be because through God we shall do valiantly. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. God has been able to make all grace abound toward you in that having all sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work. I say this with all humility, but with all factual truth. Look at Bernie Carbo. You young people, you can't understand. We walked in those 80-some-year-old house in Torrington on Wednesday, and I introduced these folks to Bernie Carbo. You would have thought I introduced them to the President of the United States. They were just blown away. <gasps> Bernie Carbo, come on in. Can we get our, your autograph? Of course, we gave him their, Bernie gave him their autograph and his autograph and so forth and prayed with him and There was a time I wanted to be the Bernie Carbo. But if I had to trade places with Bernie Carbo today, and I say this in all humility, I'd be stepping way down. Let me just let you in a little secret. Bernie's family, Bernie's kids are not living for the Lord today. His grandchildren have gone away and have gone awry and pray for He always asked me to pray for his family. He sowed a lot of wild seeds. And now his family's in a mess. And I could be, and Daniel and Nathaniel, you could be a major league, whatever you think is a superstar, a baseball player, a football player, or you could be a doorkeeper in the house of your God. And I'm going to tell you, Solomon said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. You see, decision is a great opportunity. You have an opportunity to live for the Lord. You've got a clean slate, if you will. And I end with these thoughts here tonight, and we're going to have a dedication here of our two teenagers, our two high school graduates in a moment. I heard it many years ago. My sister was the, the girl in Count Dracula that got bit, you know, in the play. She played in the plays in high school. My sister was homecoming queen. She was uh, the head majorette. She was, pardon me, pardon the language, believe it or not. Hard to believe this looking at me, I understand. But she was a looker. And everybody loved, loved my sister, Nancy. And uh, we had dress rehearsals. I'll never forget that I was on the stage, one of the stagehands. And dress rehearsal was all free and fun and so forth, and we never had problems in dress rehearsal. But then the big night came, the two nights came, the Friday and Saturday night when the play went on. And that, that had to be the show. Life is not a dress rehearsal. You only get one chance. You only go around once in life, the beer commercial used to say. Go for all the gusto you can get. In other words, you get one life, Nathaniel and Daniel. Make it count. Own it. Own your decisions. Own your choices. Don't play the blame game. Take responsibility. Understand that you have a great opportunity, a great and effectual door is open unto you, but there are many adversaries. A few moments, I think, we've got to hand it out here. I'd like to sing a song we used to sing all the time, Only One Life to Offer, Only One Life to Give. We're going to sing that song in just a moment here, but I close with a great story of Jim Elliott. How many know, let me just, just, just poll you, how many know the name Jim Elliott? How many know who I'm talking about? Yeah, look at that now. 
Not very many of you. Well, let me tell you who Jim Elliott is, or was, or is, because he's in heaven now. He's born in Portland, Oregon on October 9th, 1927. Graduated from Polytech High School there in Portland and went on to Wheaton College in Illinois where Tammy, Tammy now Carbo went to college as well. When he was 29, he, gained, he, he, he went with four other missionaries and he flew, flew over a very foreign country at that time in 1956 by the name of Ecuador. You heard of it? When I go to my car wash, there's a lot of Ecuadorians there. It's hard to believe that, and I'm looking at Richie all of a sudden, Rich Shemp, he's, he's seen a third world. He's seen the, not all the people around the world live like we live. I'm going to tell you right now. There's people that live a thousand years behind us and through 2,000 years behind us, literally in the Stone Age days. In 1956, Ecuador was still in the Stone Age. They had headhunters. They still had what was called cannibals, where, yes, people, they actually ate other people. That's true. Just ancient history, 1956. But Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and three other their comrades went on a missions trip and landed on the beach there, the beachhead of Ecuador, to give the Indians there, the, the in a tribe that never heard the gospel, the gospel of Christ. Many of you know the story. All five of them were slaughtered on that beachhead. They were all killed, thrust through the, the, with the tip of the spear. Of course, they found Nate, Jim Elliott's Bible, and in the Jim Elliott's front cover of his Bible were these words, the 29-year-old martyr, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Nate and Daniel, you can make millions. I would love for you to make a lot of money. But God may not want you to make a lot of money. It's all right to make money, but not at the expense of not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You got one life to live, one life to offer. You got decisions to make. It's a choice. It's a responsibility how long halt you between two opinions? You've got to make a decision, decisions in your life in the days and weeks and months ahead. Occupation, oh, okay. Dollar General, that's fine. That's great. Or wherever you work, uh, Price Chopper, or Price Market 32, or wherever you work, Daniel, that's good. That's wonderful. But your vocation is to serve the Lord. You have an opportunity, and you've got a great and effectual door open unto you. Make your decisions count for the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. And in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy, your paths. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we ended the message this morning on the subject of David had an opportunity to rededicate his life after he had so messed up, we thank you that you're many times the God of the second chance, and oh yes, the third and the fourth chance. You're God of mercy. Lord, but help us to make decisions that will honor and glorify you. Help us to make decisions that will not leave, leave us with regret. Help us to live our life in such a way that we say it was worth it all to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live and understand we have one life to offer, only one life to give. May we live it for thee, and we'll thank you for it. Bless us as we close out our service in this dedication time, this time of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to sing all three verses. I think we have the little handout. Uh, uh, is that right? Do we have the handout?